Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Detox Podcast. I am Denise Walker, your host. If you're new here, welcome. Detox Podcast is a deep dive into my poetry collections, Pick Your Poison, on addiction and recovery. Every episode, I dissect one of my poems. I go into it to describe my emotions, my experiences, and I present it to you in this way in order to create a place of solace, understanding, and relatability. Let's dive in. Hello, my friends. This episode is called Bunny. I'm going to be talking about uh, internalized capitalism for this episode. I've got, (laughs) speaking of capitalism, uh, I have two workshops coming up. Uh, Two Learn to Read Tarot workshops. The first one is level one, which is on uh, Monday, June 14th at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Daylight Time. It's virtual, so if that time works for you anywhere in the world, you're welcome to join. I've got sliding skill prices. My next workshop is Learn to Read Tarot Level 2, and you don't need to take Level 1 to take Level 2. It's more for people who do have some tarot experience but would like to learn how to read cards together and learn about how they influence each other and how to make your own tarot spread for any occasion. That one is on the 22nd of June at 6.30 as well. I am loving hosting these workshops. People are so insightful. Um, If you're worried that you might not be a natural, don't worry. I'm sure that you are. And uh, if tarot is something that you'd like to learn more about, this is for you. So I'll put the link in the show notes, but you can also visit cityandsoul.ca slash workshops to sign up there. There's sliding scale uh, pricing. So choose whichever price is best for you and your budget. We've also got Club Steady on the first Sunday of every month, which is a recovery circle here in Edmonton. Uh, It's in person based on uh, the current levels of restrictions. It's entirely possible that the next one, uh, there will be no restrictions. I have no idea. Um, I can't predict the future, obviously, but we're on track to have be completely open by, by July. So the next one's the first Sunday in July, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. But that's the same link, cityandsoul.ca slash workshops, and that's just a very low sliding scale price to join that one, as low as $5. But obviously, if you don't have the funds for that, you're still welcome to send us an email or a message on Instagram at cityandsoulco at, <laughs> at cityandsoulco on Instagram. Okay. After I've done my little uh, capitalism spiel, I will jump into this poem and we'll get talking. So it's called Bunny, and it goes like this. The night air is hot and sickly sweet, like campground washroom hand soap. Spring had turned violently to summer, days now muggy and sleepless. Memories of slushy snow were long gone years ago, remembered only on nights like this. Do you remember spring? I'm the baby bunny we saw darting between parked cars, alone and new, moving so fast that there's no chance in hell of slowing down. So yeah, I'm that bunny in the poem. I wrote it after I took a little walk with my coworker on a night shift and it was 
around this time of year, May or June, and suddenly the nights were super hot, or at least super warm. And, you know, like only a few weeks prior, there was snow everywhere. And it was just such a quick turn. And it felt very relatable to the quick turn of going from in addiction to in recovery. We saw this little bunny, baby bunny, just like darting in between parked cars. We saw it multiple times. It was super cute, Um, but it was like going so fast and we made note of it because it was cute and and quite anxiously uh, darting around. So when I talk about spring in this, I'm talking about the awakening from addiction paralleled uh, in in my actual physical surroundings during that time in my life. I wrote this very soon after I had got sober because I got sober on April 20th and it would have been only like May or June when I wrote this. So it was very fast spring in both ways. Said it had turned violently to summer, you know, going from those first days of staying sober, the really, really hard days. And then suddenly it was, you know, a bit more blissful. Still super hard, but feeling more of the joy spectrum, less of the hell spectrum. (laughs) And so since your memories of slushy snow were long gone years ago, only remembered on nights like this and that's the reflection of okay well like only a few months ago I was in active addiction that winter that it's talking about that was the slumber of addiction just like winter of of the seasons it was the winter of my mind the winter of my soul just like dark and cold and unrelenting And suddenly it's summer. Suddenly it's completely different. Everything is different. The sun is warm and not blinding. It is green and lush and full of life growing once again. There's so much more ability to go out, to be extroverted and not always um, stuck indoors, you know, metaphorically and literally. And so when I saw this darting bunny, it really felt like me. Because I was starting, unbeknownst to me, to see my recovery as a means of capitalization of myself as well as seeing everything around me as an opportunity uh, for monetization and marketing. So we have this first book I wrote, Cedar Valley, my novel. And I published it when I was still drinking in 2016. And I had no hopes of like really making any money off of it. You know, I was like, ah, well, if people want to buy it, they can buy it. And I had no intention of really like pushing it um, or marketing it. 
it was just something that I wanted to do for me. I just wanted to write a book and like actually put it out there so people could potentially read it. And I was shown by multiple people how narrow-minded that was. Like who, who was I to become a popular author? <clears throat> who was I to have art that people enjoyed and wanted more of? And people would say, well, who are you not? And I started to shift from a, okay, I'm a nobody to, okay, we're all somebody. All the people who have gained any sort of level of fame or attention or popularity were just people. There's nothing special about them. They're just people like you or me. And they took a risk and they put themselves out there. And as luck, fate, privilege would have it, some people get very popular, very famous, and very rich off of their art. And so this was an empowering process to shift from, I'm a nobody, I'm not going to push this, people can read it if they want, but I'm not going to try to trick them, <laughs> into, okay, maybe I should be proud of my product. See how I shift from... <laughs> from art to product. And I start doing <clears throat> the market circuit that summer. And I'm selling Cedar Valley, my book, at the market. And as people walk by, I engage them and I tell them about my book. And in the wintertime, I do another market for Christmas and I wrap it and in like brown paper and twine with a little sprig of cedar in it because Cedar Valley, cute. <laughs> Pre-wrapped as a present. It's so easy for people to give to people. It's a book. It's easy. People like books. And one of my market buddies is like, hey, you should charge $2 extra for wrapping. And I was in my, my gut, I was like, what do you mean charge $2 extra? Like, no. Like you went to the trouble to purchase the wrapping material and do the labor of wrapping the book. Like that's an opportunity for an upsell. And so I started doing that and it started to work. <laughs> and during this time, I'm writing Pick Your Poison Volume 1, cranking out poems based on interactions I have at the market, based on all the different stuff that we went through in season one of this podcast. We talked about so much of this. Uh, all the different trials and tribulations and experiences of being in recovery through that first six months or so. Whew, harrowing, rewarding, awesome. And then I have this book, Pick Your Poison, Volume 1. And I take it and I start to sell it at the market as well. I go on a trip the next spring. And I'm with a bunch of my sober friends from hip sobriety school. And I do a poetry reading for them. And their reaction instills in me a very positive experience. Because they loved it. And they couldn't get enough of it. And then they're like, why don't you have a podcast? And I'm like, oh, but what, what would I talk about? 
And they're like, talk about your poetry. And I was like, oh my God, I already have all this built-in content to talk about in a podcast. I literally have a topic already lined up for the next 150 episodes or whatever because I have all of these poems. And the more poems I end up writing for the future, the more episodes of a podcast I can make. Do you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> when I was in hip sobriety school, we were learning uh, meditations, kundalini, specifically meditations. And a bunch of people started taking their meditation, their, their kundalini yoga teacher training. That was a shift. That was a, this has helped me. Now I want to share this with the world. That's the base principle of it, right? But it's also so much more. Because when we are in addiction, we feel pretty fucking worthless. At least I did. I felt like a liar. I felt like I was completely inauthentic to who I really was or who I was showing to the world. And I felt like I wasn't... yeah, I wasn't valuable because I was wasting all my time drinking and not really, you know, there was tricks. There was little tricks because I think my job, I worked at ambulance dispatch, still do, but that felt like I was a contributing member of society. Um, but, you know, there was still a heavy sense of shame and worthlessness and self-loathing, right? And inherently that builds in a belief of not being enough. Because we wanna be good. At least I wanted to be this like picture perfect person who's like a really good friend, really reliable, super nice, compassionate all the time, uh, you know, is helpful. <clears throat> and alcohol, beefed up my ego and I was reactive and not always kind. I was not always, I couldn't see things from other people's perspectives as well as I can now. I was marred by, you know, the alcohol in my brain, very reactive, very in my thoughts and my emotions, no separation between, no being able to observe or witness, you know, the world around me with pause and contemplation. It's all about me, very centered on me. I wasn't the person that I wanted to be, and therefore I wasn't enough. And so as I start doing these things, like selling my books, getting feedback from poetry, um, watching people listen to my podcast, uh, starting meditation teacher training, having people really love my meditations. I'm getting a lot of attention. And I realize over the course of the last few years that I really like attention. You know, it was kind of built into us that like, at least, I don't know if this is for this is true for you, but I feel like I grew up with a social conditioning that you shouldn't like attention. Like a bunch of people would always say, like, oh, I hate being the center of attention. And I would just be like, oh yeah, me too without even thinking, do I? And so as I grow up and I'm, you know, doing things, I'm speaking and, uh, and 
doing book launches where I'm I'm sharing par parts of the books in front of people and 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 just sharing myself quite openly. I really enjoy the attention that I'm receiving. I really enjoy when people build me up and cheer me on and and make me feel worthy. You know? And so <clears throat> the more I post on Instagram, the more I share to my stories, the more art I put out into the world, and the more that I do this, the more feedback I get, and it creates this loop of like positive attention. And it feeds into itself. And so I want to do it more. And when I'm not doing it, I don't feel as good. There's that sort of social media addiction. <sighs> but then it begs the question, why am I really doing it? Why am I putting this stuff out there for the public to consume? What is the end goal? Is it good? Is it actual contributions to society? Is it really helping? Or is it internalized capitalism? Is it internalized capitalism? So what is capitalism? Capitalism is our economic system where we have a free market. We have anyone is able to sell anything at any price. Not anything, obviously, but like barring things that are illegal to sell. <laughs> um, but I can sit here and I could, you know, I don't know, hack a chunk of drywall out of my wall, you know, doodle on it and then sell it as art. Like I can, I could do that. <laughs> Not that I'm going to, but I, I could, I could. It's so to also capitalize on something is to see and, uh, and see potential in basically everything or in a specific thing and then seize that opportunity to, to turn it into money in an economics, an economic standpoint. But it can also be, you know, in an emotional way or, or other ways seizing seizing an opportunity to capitalize on something is to is to seize an opportunity seeing the potential in something and seizing it uh and it, oftentimes it does have <clears throat> negative connotations especially within economics because a lot of the time people are being exploited like or <laughs> It's, it's hard to see it from both ways because we, we live in capitalism, so we know that things are, this is just the way things are, even though a bunch of people are sort of stuck in the lower rings of our like pyramid-shaped economy. Like take me for example, I'm sitting in my apartment that I live in and I pay rent. I pay rent to somebody who has more money than me and owns four of the apartments, the condos in this building that I live in. And he rents them out 
and he's making money off of our need to live here. Our need to have a place to live, to have a roof over our head, a basic need, shelter. And because I have the money to pay the price he's asking, we have a green light. I get to live here and he gets to make money. I'm not making money off of living here. In some ways I am because it allows me to go to my job. It allows me to sit here and and record this podcast. Uh, It allows me to make any sort of other art or whatever it is I do here. (laughs) But this is the structure. Everyone is making money off of someone. And so what does internalized capitalism look like? If that's the external capitalistic structure, what does internalized capitalism look like? You feel like you're not enough. As I've previously mentioned, that's a big one. You may find that resting, taking a break, not being productive for like 100% of your day feels like laziness, badness, feels wrong. And you're, you know, overcome by that sense of guilt of, oh, I should be doing something. This I'm wasting my day by resting. Your worth is tied to your productivity. And even though it might not be like blatantly tied, I feel like that one can be quite insidious. Like who, who are we if we are not producing whatever it is we're producing? Who are we if we're not showing up at 100% all the time? Who are we if we are not these energizer bunnies of society darting around, checking off all the check marks, getting everything done perfectly, efficiently, consistently? I don't know. I've never given myself a chance to find out. Your the tasks or activities that you have in your life may have a hierarchy. Productivity tasks, um, like taking an online course or working on something that you're going to monetize, may take priority over just watching TV on the couch, reading a book. Um, cooking your favorite meal, spending time with friends and family, having a nap, resting. I know for me, even keeping my house clean is a very low priority because I feel inundated by all of the other things in my life. And these are productivity tasks in my life. I'm still recovering from the last year of being hyper, hyper productive because while most of the world was forced to stop 
and so many people lost their jobs. Please don't think I'm romanticizing that because that's horrific. And loneliness, solitude, loss of um, identity and, and anchors in your life, that is something that clearly could lead to addiction and a lot of people it has. So I get that. I know that when I was in a period of my life where I felt like I was completely, like my my day-to-day was completely different and isolating from the rest of the people in my life. And I had a, a lot of alone time, a lot of alone time. That is one of the major things that fueled my alcohol addiction. So I'm not romanticizing this forced stop. I created a business during the pandemic because I started creating it before the pandemic. It was already rolling. There was no, like I could have pulled the plug, but it would have been not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to keep going, even though it was really hard. Never felt that much stress in my life. I will say that every time. (laughs) But it was the most productive I have ever been. And I'm not saying that as like a brag. All day, all night was making decisions, doing tasks, emails, picking up supplies, doing construction, communicating constantly with my business partners and all of our contractors and businesses and all of this stuff to get City and Soul off the ground lining up interviews for renters to come on, holistic practitioners, yoga teachers, learning a completely new system. It was overwhelming to the max. But if we didn't slow down, we wouldn't meet that deadline. Because if we hit the deadline, we would not open our doors in time to start paying rent to the person who owns the space that we rent out of in order to make money in the external capitalistic system. And I think if capitalism wasn't internalized for me by by before last year, it certainly is now. I feel intense guilt if I'm not keeping up with, um, like if I don't respond to emails immediately. Do you do this? Do you get an email and respond immediately? A text message, a message on Instagram, even if it's from a friend. Your ability to be always ready, always reachable, always accessible is internalized capitalism. Always on. Doing things for yourself anything that is just for pure relaxation joy may feel bad it may feel wrong it may feel selfish to take time for yourself that's another sign of internalized capitalism one of the big ones for me is seeing everything through the lens of um, the lens of monetization, where 
where literally every single thing that I enjoy, I flip into a product. Writing poetry, that has now turned into selling books, running workshops, and talking on a podcast to you. It has led me to events and speaking events where I then sell my book at and market myself. Uh, (laughs) Meditation, I've turned into a business. There have been a lot of failed projects and I don't mean like, oh, I failed because I'm bad. I mean like I, I started to do it and it just didn't pan out. And I'm glad it didn't pan out because anytime I have any sort of idea, I'm like, oh my God, yes, let's do it. Okay, yeah, I'm going to plant a garden and I'm going to harvest the herbs. I'm going to dry them out and then I'm going to uh, make something out of them. And then I'm going to sell it. I am going to read tarot cards because I can. Even though they are a wonderful self-reflection tool for myself, now it's like, okay, finally I've reached the threshold where I can turn this into money. (laughs) Like, why? I'm not saying, like, don't patronize me because in order to stay afloat within the system, I still need people to pay me money for my services that I like to offer. And of course I get something else out of it besides money. I make connections and I love to help people. I love to help people. And so you see that in all of the facets of my life. Um, And it sucks because if helping, helping people isn't monetized, it feels draining. Because we have so little of ourselves to give when we're always focused on being productive. When we're always focused on external energy, feeding into the capitalistic structure. So if we're not being paid for our time, what's the point? So I don't have the answers. All I can say is a practice that I've been doing since the moment I stopped drinking alcohol was when I needed rest, I rested even if I felt so fucking guilty. And it didn't work all the time. It didn't work all the time. But when you notice that voice going off inside your head, know that it's not, like, ask yourself if it's real. Ask yourself, is this internalized capitalism talking? Is there any reason that I really need to be super productive? Where is this guilt coming from? Is someone actually saying to me, if you don't get up, I will hate you? If you don't clean the house, I will hate you? I will leave you? If so, that probably needs to be addressed. I have a lot of internalized um, guilt around cleaning. I feel a lot of sort of 
shame for being messy and not being able to have like a show home ready house every day. Um, and I know it affects my partner. If you live with people, it, your level of cleanliness affects other people around you. I get that. <laughs> and it makes me feel bad. That's where my guilt comes from because not because I've definitely, I've definitely worked through a lot of it. And like, I don't feel like a bad person anymore. I don't feel like it morally makes me bad. Messiness is neutral, right? It's morally neutral. It has, it doesn't make you good or bad. So what does upset me is if I'm making my partner feel anxious in his home. If he's here and he's unable to relax because there's stuff everywhere, that's a problem. I want to make his house, our house, a beautiful, relaxing place. And like, a lot of people say, well, like, Denise, like, why doesn't he clean? If it's so important to him, why doesn't he clean? Well, he does. He cleans up after himself. I, all the stuff that is everywhere is mine. And like, sure, he could clean it up. But one, I don't really want him touching my stuff. Two, it's kind of my responsibility to clean up after myself. And the the only excuse is, I don't really know why I'm like this, but I think it's that like capitalistic hierarchy of my mind. That's like, okay, well, Denise, like emails, recording this podcast, uh, going to work. I mean, yeah, but doing all of your city and soul tasks, uh, making sure you're you're like upholding your, your friendship connections. All of that is like more important than cleaning my house. Cleaning my house is honestly the bottom. It's the very bottom. And so it gets missed almost all the time. But what, but what of the guilt you're feeling? What is it? When does it come up? Can you sit in it? Can you just let it be without, you know, trying to push it away. I wonder if it'll eventually go away if we allow ourselves to sit in it and and analyze it and not turn it into an Instagram post about how guilty we feel. Do you know what I mean? Like internalized capitalism also comes with this constant need for optimization. Like you see an area of your house and you're like, oh, I could optimize that. Um, organization of any sort, like with um, <clears throat> um, your tasks, like creating a more optimized task system, making everything hyper-efficient, you know, like so you can get more shit done in a day because so you can do more pro productivity in a day, more tasks more external energy given, feeling accomplished. But we can feel accomplished without the guilt, can't we? I don't know. Can we? I hope so. When is it enough? I have done so much. Why doesn't it feel like enough? Why do I still feel guilty for not doing enough? That's a problem. That is a big red flag for me, that something about this is not quite right. So that's the practice I have is, you know, if I feel guilty 
about sleeping in or guilty about not getting back to my emails immediately, I just allow myself to not do it. Yeah, back to that Instagram post thing as well, just like everything that happens in your life, the the need to turn it into content, that's internalized capitalism. If the, a moment can't just be for you and you need to share it to have like engagement. It's one thing if it's like you're celebrating like a big thing, like, you know, I don't know, like a wedding, uh, um, your sobriety. But like everything, does it have to be everything? I mean, all the power to you, do whatever you want, right? Like I'm not, I'm not saying that you should stop doing what you're doing, but like, is, is there a reason behind wanting to take everything from your life, flip it into content so that essentially it can be monetized because we're looking to gain followers. We're looking to sell those followers something. You know? Other than that, <laughs> awareness, awareness and, and curiosity. Those are my two suggestions for dealing with internalized capitalism. Um, as well as, I'll throw a, three, a third one in here. Can you guess it? Yeah, it's boundaries. <laughs> Fucking boundaries, right? Like, have we heard enough about boundaries? Have we, <laughs> have we optimized boundaries yet? Have we, have we neatly packaged and resold boundaries yet? But really, that comes with the constant uh, availability of the self, always being available to be called upon, whether it be answering emails, Instagram, uh, text messages, phone calls. A boundary, if you're struggling with that, if that's making you unhappy, a boundary about how quickly you respond may be helpful. Turning your notifications off. Yeah. If you haven't done it, I suggest it because the app is still there. Trust me, I open Instagram a million times a day. My phone tells me. But I'm no longer getting the notification. So if I'm not like in a moment where I can choose if I have the emotional energy to respond to anything that's on there, like I don't open it. And it's not just... I was looking, I was, I just wanted to know what the time was. And suddenly I see, you know, there's like messages on Slack, Instagram, Facebook, an email that's like urgent. I need your attention right this minute, you know, like, cause then I won't stop thinking about it. Even if I'm trying to relax, I won't be able to stop thinking about it. Can you relate? I wonder if there's a piece there because I've started to ha have to do my tasks immediately when I wake up or else I can't relax because the whole day is spent like with my mind being like, oh, well, you should be doing this. You should be doing this. If that word should comes up in your mind, that is the place where you put that red flag. You flag that and you look at it 
you say, okay, what do you mean I should be? Like, what does that even mean? Should. My therapist, and I'm sure a million things you've seen before, um, tells me to turn it into a could. And honestly, it really works for me. It turns um, need, need to do tasks into uh, maybe like fun time opportunities. Like, oh, I could go to the grocery store today, right? It's sort of like, oh, I wonder, like, what will I buy if I go to the grocery store? I could fill up on gas. I could answer these emails, but I, I, I don't need to. The world will not end if I don't. Sometimes it feels like it. Yikes. Hey, if you have ways of dealing with internalized capitalism, I would love to hear them. You can like post about this one on Instagram. You can comment there or I don't know, send me an email if you want. Um, I hope that you will (laughs) come join me for my monetization of the things I enjoy tarot workshops, um, meditation classes. (laughs) I really enjoy, I really enjoy it. I enjoy creating. And, um, if it's helpful for you, then, then I want you to come check it out, but that's your choice. You could, you, you don't need to should yourself about it. You could do it. Could be fun. Could be not. Whatever, it's up to you. You get to choose. How fun is that? Okay. Let's end this one. I'm going to keep working on internalized capitalism. I think it's a lifelong process. I don't really know how to break it, but maybe we'll get there one day. Maybe we'll get there one day. Like, other than just leaving, like going off the grid... And being completely self-sustainable, like, I get it. I get why people, like, want to go live on communes and, like, have their own little um, insulated communities that are outside of this society. I get it. This is trash. (laughs) Oh, it's trash. But here we are, living right in it. So, I don't know. What can we do about it? I'm going to keep brainstorming. I hope you will, too. And uh, I hope you find some peace in the midst of all of this. All right, here's Bunny. The night air is hot and sickly sweet like campground washroom hand soap. Spring had turned violently to summer, days now muggy and sleepless. Memories of slushy snow were long gone years ago, remembered only on nights like this. Do you remember spring? I'm the baby bunny we saw darting between parked cars, alone and new, moving so fast that there's no chance in hell of slowing down.